there, I'm Mandy Yakut from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Welcome to Creative Matters episode 14. I really want to say thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and to listen to my podcast. Today I'm talking to Emma Ferry. Emma is a writer, photographer, creative maker and meditation practitioner. Her work is all about emotion and the life of the spirit. She brings the awareness to her work with photography, books and soul stones. Each of her pieces is designed to start a conversation with the heart of the viewer. Emma writes her books and creates her soul stones at her studio overlooking Murawai Beach, which is northwest of Auckland, New Zealand. Her writing and photography is inspired by the dynamic beauty that surrounds her. She draws strength from her rich Lebanese heritage, as well as the Scottish determination and Celtic love for nature she inherited from her mum. You can see images of Emma's work and all the related links on her blog, which is on our website creativematters.co.nz. You can also find out more about Emma and her beautiful work on her website emmafairy.com. Welcome to Creative Matters on Air, Emma. Thank you. So happy to be here on this beautiful morning. Oh, it's so good to have you. I've been really looking forward to having this chat. Same. Yeah, yeah. so we know each other, but we well, we have had a few good, deep, meaningful chats over the time. But um, well, Every time we chat, it's like we've got so many places that we go. <laughs> so yeah. This is probably going to be a wide-ranging one. I think, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be hard to keep it in, in the hour. Yes. All right, so um, welcome. It's, it's great to have Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I thought before we get started, it might be nice for you to tell the listeners um, a little bit about your practice, um, just sort of a small description of your practice before we get into your childhood. Okay. So, yeah, um, looking forward to hearing about it. It's an interesting question. I think I work really intuitively. So um, as far as every day is different for me, like it, it depends on how I'm feeling and what I want to do. And uh, it's really great to have a lot of different mediums to work in because you know some days I won't necessarily feel like writing or have a certain kind of mood that I want to put into something something um that might not be the page it might be a stone or it might be um t- going down the beach and taking some photographs so it's really good to have that variety in my creative practice mm. um for years I was j- just writing and I didn't actually acknowledge all those other parts of me that wanted expression so now that I'm older and I kind of have been able to embrace other parts of the creative sort of sphere it's given me much more scope to express myself and to kind of get messages across in different ways Mm, yeah yeah sounds great and I mean with you you don't call yourself a visual artist do you but you're a very creative person and I think that's why you know I really wanted to talk to you on this podcast you have um so much to offer creatively and you've done so many different things that you know you still to me have that kind of artistic way in your life even though you may not call yourself an artist yes it's quite funny like I don't call myself an artist and it's been quite interesting because you know because I've been a writer all my life there's a lot of kind of ego that you bring into it and so it's quite can be quite heavy sometimes whereas actually branching out into being creative on a more wide scale gives me so much more freedom to have some fun Uh, I don't take it seriously I'll take risks much more risks and all those things so it's been a fabulous kind of a evolution and to be able to speak about that on this podcast is really cool because you know there's probably other people like me that are um, not necessarily wanting to call themselves a fine artist not taught in that way but still creative as you said so Mm, yeah yeah it's brilliant I think it'd be really great for lots of people yeah cool yeah so uh, just going back to the beginning can you tell us about where you were born your childhood and what sort of child you were it's so interesting. I was born. Um, I was listening to some of your other fabulous podcasts, and just listening to people's childhoods really interesting. So it sort of got me thinking too. And um, yeah, I was born in Dunedin, nineteen seventy. So I was a child of the seventies, uh, born into a very large Lebanese family. 
uh, on my dad's side and then on my mum's side, a very large Scottish family. So there was a lot of people around. Uh, it was, yeah, a really kind of busy, lots of people surrounding us. Um, I'm the oldest of five, so there was a lot of us. Um, always quite a creative child, I'd say. Well, not really creative, more sensitive and I'd, I'd put my sensitivity into words and write poetry and stuff from a young age and um, you know again didn't really see myself as a writer until my lovely mum collected all my works and I was only nine by then so God, the, the poems are hilarious like they're so funny but she she collected them all up and hand wrote them into this uh big red book actually I, I'm hoping my dad still got it and she she you know carefully um inscribe them all and I saw that book and it just changed something in my mind I thought oh I'm actually a writer so she gave me that wow. gift at the age of nine so that how was, amazing yeah that what was, a great mum oh she was amazing honestly mm. she was she was um yeah my biggest kind of cheerleader and probably wouldn't have had the courage to um come this far with my creative process if it hadn't been for her because you know it wasn't really a creative family on it was a very um it was an immigrant family on my Lebanese side so you know there wasn't really the time and space to be um even though there was lots of creative people within it there's not that much time and space to really um nurture that side of things when you're coming to a new country you're trying to build your legacy and all those things so Mm. um yeah, her giving me that kind of endorsement was fabulous. Mm, yeah, and that sort of endorsement from such a young age is so lo- can be so long lasting, can't it? It really can. It's, it's taken me through this whole life. So yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Mum. Yeah, thanks, Mum. Mm-hmm. As usual, we're always yep. thanking our mum yeah. <laughs> for so many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and from that age of nine, where did you take your writing? It's funny because I always sort of did it, but then um, back in those days you didn't have any, there was no such thing as a creative writing course, unfortunately. So the way that I kind of dealt with that was, okay, so I always had the business head on as well. So Mm. how am I going to make money from my writing? And so I ended up doing a degree in English at Otago University and then went to um, to Canterbury for uh, the journalism course postgrad journalism course which was great and then um, from there that journalism just really took me many places and again it got, gave me a lot of variety of what you know every day you'd be speaking to different people and I love stories mm. so that was also a real part of my journey you know listening to people's stories I find that amazing I'm sure you do too mm. which is why we're doing this yeah but it's yep. endlessly fascinating to me so yeah. that was yeah that was good oh that sounds amazing yeah. I didn't realize that you you're a journalist. So how long were you doing that for? I actually did it for many years. like, um, And even up until when I had kids, I was working on um, shows like Maggie's Garden Show. Do you remember that mm-hmm. one? And um, did a few kind of lifestyle shows like that, New Zealand House and Garden and oh, those wow. kind of shows. Yeah. So were you writing for those? Uh, I was actually researching. So it was kind of like researching is kind of like uh, bringing journalism skills to TV, like you find the people, you go and interview them, cool. you do the notes about what you think the show should be about, mm. and then, yeah, you deliver that to the producer. So it was a really fun job. I really loved doing mm, that. That sounds amazing. But, um, you know, journalism took me so many places. Like, you know, I was telling you before I worked at the ODT, my first job, and it was so funny. Like, when I look back, you know, the men would be at their, at their desks smoking on the job, and then you'd have a typewriter, um, and you'd do everything on these little pieces of paper and give them give it to the sub editors. All the all the people in management were all men. There was no woman in management whatsoever. Mm. Um, it was just a different world, you know. Yeah, and I don't even feel that old, but it's no, like, it's crazy. Yeah. So that's Otago Daily Times. Otago Daily Times still going, still going strong. Yeah, that's the Dunedin paper. Was Much it? loved, yeah, yeah, Dunedin paper, yeah. But I stayed there for one year and I was like, I've got to get out of here because I was, you know, in my hometown and everything. Mm. And then came up here and just sort of travelled the world after that. But I've always sort of had a base in Auckland after that. Yeah. Yeah. And did you go back to your Lebanese heritage? Did you go back to… Travelling wise? Travelling, yeah. Yeah, I've been there actually three times now, three totally different trips. And that was just amazing. The, the most recent one, we took our boys back a couple of three years ago. Uh, and that was just really fascinating for them to see that part of their heritage Mm. and for me to kind of be able to take them to the little village that 
um, my dad's family's been part of for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So, um, yeah, that was a great gift. And mm. obviously just before COVID happened too, so it was very good timing. Mm. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing to go back, isn't it? It really is. And yeah. take your own family. You yeah. understand so much more about yourself and they understand so much more mm. about themselves too, you know. And it's so different to New Zealand, isn't it? It's like so different. Unbelievably different. Yeah. And you kind of realise the great things about being here too when you when you see other places. And you also kind of realise the drawbacks as well, which is, you know, they got a good lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And appreciate what we have here too, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Completely. So yeah. Uh, just starting to talk about um, your own writing and, and how you started getting into writing books. Um, how did that sort of what, – what was the, the connection from your journalism your journalism days to book writing and being an author? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. I um, I always wrote poetry, and then I think it was when I was in my mid-twenties, um, I actually it was precipitated by a really bad breakup, but I was heartbroken. And um, as usual with my practice, I take my emotions to the page or to the you know, to the medium and work it out there. So I actually um, wrote this book and I was, I think I was in my mid-twenties by then and just really followed my intuition to get this book, you know, started and finished, which was really interesting process. And um, then I sent it, I met Kerry Hume, who was a writer of The Bone People mm. at a um, at a sort of, Writers Festival, West, the West one. I can't remember what it's called. The West, um, the one they have at Titarangi. Oh yeah, another one. You mean? Yeah. Anyway, I was I was young and full of like risk taking, and so I sent her some of my work, and she um, amazingly, I was at the flat I was in at that point, and someone rung up, and then, um, and I said, oh hello, and that she said, oh hi, it's Kerry here. How are you? And I was like, what? Yeah. Kerry Hume was ringing me. I was like, what? And she said, oh, she really liked my poem, and this, which was the poem that actually became Freedom Song. And then this was how many years ago I wrote it. Wow. And, um, and I cheekily said, oh, look, I've got a manuscript. You know, would you be able to have a look at it? And I cannot believe I even said that. Like today, I just would not even think about something like that because I just know how long it takes. And, mm. you know, back then you're kind of just living on a prayer, aren't you? So yeah. <laughs> I did that. And she um, – she was very gracious and she read it and she gave me lots of really good feedback. Wow, and how amazing. And yeah. Kerry Hume, I mean, she's a very well thought of, well respected New Zealand author. She really is. And um, so I actually did some, um, I had the manuscript ready and I'd done, already done a lot of work on it. And I went to um, like a summer school at Columbia University in the States. It was just like uh, about nine weeks of working on your manuscript. And um, through that, I Kerry Hume had given me a, you know, kind of like a little um, review sort of thing. And on the on the back of that, I found a really lovely um, young press in um, New York that was starting out, and they were keen to publish the book. That ended up being, it's called Redemption, and it's it, it, it was my first publication. So that was when, by the time it all happened, I was probably late twenties. And that got published there and got sold on Amazon, but it was never really available in this country because I was living in America at that time. Mm. Um, so that was my first book, and that was um, a really great experience. It really taught me about following my intuition to finish something, to start something and have a middle in something and to finish something. So that was mm. a really good process for mm. me. And um, that can be hard for people, younger people. Sometimes. Yeah. I think I was pretty determined to, for some reason, just determined. Mm. Yeah. And it's amazing that you had the confidence to think, I'm going to publish the book. I mean, was that your, your goal at the beginning when you first started or was it more a therapeutic start? Yeah, exactly. That's always my thing. It's always <laughs> a therapeutic thing. And then at the end of it, I'm like, oh, maybe this could be quite good for something else mm. and then it can, might be some, good for something else. It's just interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So that wasn't your goal at the beginning to write a book and have it published? No. Again, I'm just always on a very intuitive level, so mm. I'm not necessarily thinking about what the outcome's going to be. I'm just being with the process quite mm. a lot when I think about mm. it, you know? And it's almost the universe 
you know, putting you in the right place to meet Kerry and, you know, yeah, it, it's exactly. funny how those things happen that it sort of actually evolved to become a, a published book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. And I look back on it now and I just don't, I cannot even, like, just don't like it at all. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite funny. Like, I, you know, I just want to take a slash, a pencil to everything and just, you know, redo mm. it. But I, I think... You know, most writers feel that way, I think. Yeah, and it's reflective of your 20-something self. Exactly. Which is good. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. You're capturing that moment. Yeah. Yeah, and your writing's obviously evolved, which is a good thing. It has. It really has. It's really different now. Mm. Yeah. And and what what sort of stuff didn't you like? Um, mm, Good question. I think that as we grow, we kind of get better at – editing somehow and we know a bit more what to what to keep and what to leave out yeah Mm. I'd say Mm. Mm. lots of things but maybe that's the core Mm. of it maybe have more restraint yeah or just um yeah not over speaking yeah basically again it's showing not telling as well Mm. that's the other thing which is you know as you get older it's kind of like you're just showing rather than Rather than telling, mm. and I think when you're young, you want it to seem kind of impressive, and you want people to think it's great. So you have that sort of pressure on yourself yeah. to, and then often you end up overdoing it to make it feel like it might be okay. Yeah, well, you want the bells and whistles, you know. Yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, been looking at not needing those bells and whistles so much anymore. Mm. Just kind of being a bit more, um, just okay with being just who I am and, and the good and the bad and, mm. uh, you know, I don't really need to prove so much. Maybe yeah. that's it, you know, not not having to prove much. Anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is one of the advantages of getting older. Yeah. One of the many, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's great getting old. That's our story and we're sticking to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. So after the publication of, of that book, where did you go from there? Okay, so after that uh, – Actually, when that happened, the Twin Towers, just, just as I was about to start a, like a tour doing um, different parts of New York and around different parts of the cities in America, the, the Twin Towers came down in 9-11 and we were basically living in um, the West Village, which was West 11th Street, very close to there. So our whole lives were really mm-hmm. um, taken into a kind of, yeah, really – made hard by that so mm. um mark actually got made redundant from his job and advertising and i was temping at the time and we sort of just as well as doing my writing obviously and we both decided it was time to come home so we really packed up our lives there and came home and on the way home got um engaged and which was f- fabulous and unexpected for me Beautiful. and yeah so we came home here got married and then we had our kids so from then I just really clung to my creative practice as much as I could mm. um but didn't really uh, you know I could get little bits here and there done I'm sure you'll be able to understand with yeah. that um when you've got little kids and I didn't you know I'd, I'd get little bits here done here and there but I didn't really have a book finished um around those years from when the kids were you know, probably born till about five or so. Mm. Well, it's yeah. hard to get anything much done. It is. And your head's not really working, your brain's not working. Oh, you're so tired way. all the time. Yeah. yeah. So I st- still always did write, but I didn't have a book to publish as such in that time. Um, and then we moved from Auckland down to, we went overseas again to America for a while, which was amazing um, because I'd won this green card and I had to, we had to go back with all the family for six months to see if we could um, make that happen, but mm. we couldn't. So we came back here and we went back down to my parents' batch, which was awesome because we were starting a business. So they have a batch just outside of Dunedin mm-hmm. and we went there. Um, and we basically um, stayed there for about five years, which was awesome. Wow. Yeah, but then um, – you know, life's always just so much full of goods and bads, isn't it? Like my mum got sick uh, on our third year there. I think, I think it was a third year, um, and died really quickly from mm. ovarian cancer, which was very hard. Oh, that's tragic. Really tragic. And um, 
So And you were so close to her. So close. We were, as I said before, best friends. Um, and her and my dad were a surreal soulmate couple, so he was devastated. I had two small children. We were starting a business, and it was just really hard times. So um, funnily, again, the next book came from that traumatic experience. Mm. <laughs> um, another I can gift, see a another theme gift here. from mum. <laughs> another gift from mum. It yeah. is too, yeah. yeah. It is too, yeah. So, um, yeah, so what happened with that was um, it was kind of in the process of my grieving that I, uh, these little sort of verses or little prayers or blessings or whatever sort of came from that. And again, I had no plan of it. There was nothing kind of, there was nothing of me thinking, oh, this could be a book or anything. It was just me daily in a daily way dealing with grief and what I'd do is I'd go and sit on this big rock at the end of Karatane Beach um, and it was such a cool thing to do because you know it gave me a chance to actually get away from anything else but my own grief which was really hard because you know when you're a mom you're running a business you're you know looking after your dad all that stuff uh, it was a rare treat to actually get some time to actually just be able to have a cry or just steer into space for half an hour, etc. Mm. So that was really informative <coughs> um, and just gave me space to really be with all the emotions that were going on for me at that time. Mm. And then after um, that was got kind of over a period of about two years of doing that, just I'd walk, I'd have my daily walk to the end of the beach and then I'd sit on the rock and I'd take my little notebook sometimes and write things down and uh, after a couple of years I had these little blessings and sort of poetry blessing type things and photographs that I'd kind of collected over that time and I sent it to my fabulous friend who we we are both writers and we send each other stuff to critique and just uh, she's my first reader really Mm. after my mum so she um, looked at the stuff and she's like oh you know I think you should publish this because it'll help lots of people because it was kind of like my way of um, dealing with my the grief from my mum mm. and I was first I was like oh that's never going to happen that's just absolutely never going to happen this was never on my list it's not even anything mm. I want to do and did you feel like it was such a personal yeah I thing did that you weren't sure if you wanted to go public yeah it? I did and I also it's funny though because I suppose another big part of me is also um, trusting that, you know, things like that can be for the good and trusting Mm. that, you know, if it's it's helped my heart, it might help someone else's heart. Mm. So when I could sort of see that part of it, I took my own kind of worries about it off the table a little bit. Yeah. Mm, Which is great. And that's, you know, for people who know you, Emma, that – is the person that you are, you know, you're such a giving person and you're so in tune with emotion, your own emotion and the emotions of others. It's quite a beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. you it's coming in your tears in my eye. <laughs> thank oh. you. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that and it was it was actually uh, interesting because it's opened up so many conversations on this topic mm. by putting that out there and actually um, having the strength to do that has actually opened up so much that I would never have expected, you know. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. And so how did you go through the, the publication process with that book? Well, it's interesting because um, the last time it was with another press and they have all the rights to that book and they have in perpetuity all that and you get, you know, 5% and those kind of things from it. And coming from a business head, which I'd kind of had for the last 10 or 15 years before that, I didn't I realized that I didn't actually want to give this away to anybody else I just I wanted this to be my intellectual property because it's the deepest part of me that Mm. I'm putting out there absolutely yeah so that kind of made me want to do it myself and in lots of ways it's harder but in lots of ways I believe the world's set up for there to be less middlemen anyway so I'm trusting in that and I want that to be the case moving forward for me as well Mm. Uh, I I trust yeah, I just know I trust in my own intuitive process and I know that that's part of what I want to keep doing is I want to keep um, my intellectual property for myself. So for having that in mind, I found an amazing team of um, a really amazing uh, editor 
Jeff Blackwell, I'm oh, sorry, Jeff, his name, Jeff Walker, who did that. And then there was also um, all these different people along the way who I found who made it possible to do the book in the beautiful form that it came in. Mm. So I was really lucky to find those people that can could help me to bring it out into the world in that mm. way. Yeah. So you have to manage all the different people um, yeah. who contribute to all the different stages of publication. Yeah, and it's which fascinating. Would be hard, but interesting as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I loved it actually. It's really interesting. And uh, again, you've got to keep trusting through the whole process and find people that are, um, are going to be good, are going to be you know, have their finger on the pulse enough to know how to do things as well as possible for mm. that book. Mm. Yeah. And how do you find those people? Well, that's the thing. And I'm, I'm actually really open if anybody wants to, um, you know, I can actually help people through that process too because it really is a very gratifying one. It's um, Jeff himself had a whole kind of group of people that, that helped on that level. And then there was uh, a lady, Barbara, oh my gosh, what's her name? I remember her name anyway. She was amazing. She she organised the process of the printing and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then you the print, the printing happened in um, in Hong Kong, and then the books are delivered to me. And you know we'd go through every single aspect of the of the of the process before it, you know. Then you'd go through each page with a fine tooth comb and mm-hmm. make sure everything was as it should be, and each photograph had the right colourings, and you know all those things. Which was yeah, it was it was very details based, but very gratifying mm. yeah well that's like a sort of whole artistic practice in a way isn't it, it is, the design yeah. and you know all the aspects of publishing a book yeah which would be quite lovely and then having feeling like you're really owning how that all happens and getting the result that you want I guess yeah exactly it's it's definitely more than you think as, yeah. as everything is alive. Yeah. yeah I guess it just it it's a much much more work involved, which yeah. not everyone has time for. Yeah, and it's um, but then also it's it, it it is actually if you have the right people on the job, it's not too much of a painful process. It can be quite a fun process as well. But mm. it's it, yeah, definitely it is a process. Yeah. And what happened to Beloved after it was published? Um, well, it actually found its way in the world really easily. It really was a kind of like a joy, really. Even though from all that sorrow came a lot of joy and um. It's yeah, it's found its way in the world really well. It's um, it's lots of people have bought it, and lots of people have, have as I've said, got got back to me and and said to how it's affected their lives and how it's actually made their lives better, and how they feel like they've got a they're holding someone's hand in the depths of their own tragedy, which to me is just there's nothing mm-hmm. more amazing than that. And just weird things like you know, just even recently, someone in Muriwai bought it, an older man, and um. I found this incredible letter in my letterbox just not even that long ago. Just heartfelt, brought a tear to my eye um, letter from a person that I would never even think that had been really mm. deeply moved and kind of helped by the book. So mm, That's so beautiful. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that links so beautifully with, you know, your philosophies of life and your meditation practice and um, the other things that you do. Isn't it? Yeah, well, it's just about accepting all of life, really, not just trying to prove something and accepting and trying to put this kind of perfect image out into the world. It's also putting my pain and my sorrow and my vulnerability into the world and trusting that because that's what really brings us all together as humans, our, our frailties, you know, mm. and trusting that is a big part mm. of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Using that in a positive way is amazing. Yeah. Or just kind of being aware of it and not judging it so that you're not so that you're not judging it in the world mm. so much. You're actually understanding and accepting rather than blaming and judging. Mm. Yeah. 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 I'm sure you have lots of lots of little, you know, pearls of wisdom for us in the way that we live our lives. You know, I think you do have a good approach on that, which we could all learn from. No well, thank doubt. you. Yeah, I think it is just about accepting our flaws a lot, though. You yeah, know, which yeah. isn't easy. No, is it? And, but everyone's flawed. Everyone is. We're all broken, but we're all beautiful too. You know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. We could go on for a long time talking like this. Yeah. But um, back to your practice after beloved, 
Um, what happened then? Did you sort of think that you'd like to write another book from that experience and what you'd learnt? Or, um, yeah, I really loved were it. You it was waiting cr- for the next tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing was the the um, the poem that was the basis of Freedom Song I'd written before I even wrote the first novel, so it was like twenty five years earlier, mm. um, and it always stayed with me and had been again come from tragedy because I was um, doing this research on a documentary at that time, which was about um, once were warriors and the real true stories that were coming from that. And um, and once were warriors. That was a New Zealand film, wasn't it? About yep. um, difficult family life. Yeah, really, really difficult family life, and how you know colonialism has, you know, been so destructive to the Maori community in this country. And very deeply felt, beautifully made film. And the star of it, Rena Owen, who actually lives in Muriwai, funnily, mm. if she did, I don't know if she still does. But mm. anyway, I was a young journalist, and we were going around seeing all these people whose lives were reflecting the same sort of difficulties that we found that were in the movie. And um, anyway, there's a little bit in the introduction of the book about this, but the the woman who really broke my heart was a woman who she, she um, had been um, in a really abusive relationship and ostensibly her partner had killed her it wasn't the father of the baby but he'd killed her 18 month old child and she took the rap and said she was you know suffering from uh, postnatal depression etc blah 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 and I was just sitting there as this young journalist hearing the story and just devastated inside um, and Rena Owen was amazing gracious just you know did a beautiful job of of kind of being there with this beautiful lady, young lady. And then I came home and I woke up in the night and just wrote this poem straight away, the Freedom Song poem. And it just always stayed with me all, for my whole life, really. Mm. And um, I'd sort of always wanted it to be an illustrated sort of, not even a book, I don't know, just somehow have illustrations to go with it. And um, so that's how the genesis of that one happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How amazing. Yeah. That's really incredible. Interesting. I didn't, know, I didn't know the story behind that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then how did you go about this book? So you know, what made you think that you would go for the book idea again? Um, I suppose because I'd done it, and I knew it was actually really fun, and it was the same thing. I didn't really want to give that poem up either, and so I um, needed to. Well, I actually took years to find the person who would be the collaborator with this who was a really amazing Dunedin artist called Ewan McDougall Um, and he after quite a lot of time of me sort of telling him this you know this idea and he timing wasn't right and then all of a sudden he said yes we'll do it and was really really um, generous of giving us his whole work um, his whole thirty-year kind of catalogue of work to choose from to oh, go wow. with, yeah, to go with. So um, myself and the graphic designer, who was amazing, Carl Venudo, an amazing young um, graphic designer for books. The three of us kind of went through and, and chose the best illustrations for each each kind of part of the poem. Mm. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. And it was cool. That's probably quite unusual for an artist. Yeah, it was amazing. That. We were very, very lucky. He's very generous. Mm, and he didn't um, want to illustrate to the parts of the poem? No, I think it was easier for him because he'd kind of had a whole lifetime and he knew that there was a back catalogue that would actually Work. tick lots of boxes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And how did you find him? He's fabulous. He's – um. oh, how did I find him? Mm. I, I actually saw his work when we were living in Dunedin uh, at my friend's gallery down there, a really cool gallery, um, and – Gallery de Novo in Dunedin, which a lot of people from down there would know. And I saw his work in the window and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the guy I've really? been looking for for all these years. Wow. And, and what was it about his work that you connected with? It's just a really raw, intuitive style that is very evocative. Yeah. But funny, you know, I think in hindsight, maybe the power of the words and the power of his imagery was a bit, little bit too much together I think that um, I personally love it and there's a lot of people that really really love the book but I think that it didn't find, it was harder for that book to find its um, its readership mm. like Beloved was really easy, you know it just mm. went out there, found it sold out, blah 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 um, whereas this one 
I don't know. I think I think the the um powerful imagery as well as the powerful words. I think this just might be just a bit too much for mm. people. I don't know. Did people understand what the story was around the book? I mean, were do you think that they were responding to beloved because they could put themselves into that position of dealing with grief and then with the freedom song um, idea behind the poem was that did you make that really obvious with your with your marketing and that maybe was the thing that was putting people off or do you think it was something else it's funny I just don't know I don't know yeah I mean it's interesting it's um I think it's it's just been a learning curve for me because it's quite funny I you know yeah, I'm just I did markets and things like that, so I can watch how people respond to my work, which mm. is really interesting. Mm. And I'll just kind of watch, um, you know, do people like that? Do they like that stone, or do they like mm. that book, or do they like? Um, and yeah, I just think there was something about the combination that was hard. It was it's quite a, a hard combo in some ways. Mm. I think it's maybe t- a bit too much or something. Too because the, the words are very um loving but quite fierce and the 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 um illustrations also quite fierce mm. so it's quite a and something it can be sometimes it can be some, something as simple as the color palette um because when i think of your book it's quite red and orange it, that's what i think of when i think of your book would you agree yeah the the freedom song one yeah, yeah definitely um which could be enough for somebody not to pick it up. You know, it's just there's so many aspects that people relate to in different ways. Yeah, and I think Ewan is the kind of artist that people absolutely love and a lot of people don't get as well. Whereas for me, I just totally understand what he's doing and I totally get it and I love it. Mm. But he's he's quite a polarising um, artist in that way. I think people really love it or they don't get it. Mm. And I think that's that's also a part of it and maybe the same for my work as well. People might be the same for my stuff. They either really love it or just don't get it. So it's mm. just interesting. It's, just, mm. it's interesting and it's interesting about not taking things personally as well yeah. and just kind of seeing the big picture and still loving those things but just seeing how each one has its own different um, its own different pathway in the world. Mm. Yeah, And accepting that. Yeah, so I've still got a lot of freedom songs. <laughs> Good to know. You can buy if one. Anyone wants one through Emma's website? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they're beautiful books. They are beautiful. I personally just love them. Yeah. And I think you know, in some ways, it's probably the favorite of all the things I've done. In mm. some ways, mm. um, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't mind. But there's just a lot of boxes. And yeah. Books. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I guess, that's all part of the writing. It yeah, is part of the process. part of the life. You know that, that yeah. some things work and some things don't, and some things work in some way and they don't work in other ways. Mm. And just and being can open be good, to that. Good learning for the future, but then also, as you say, staying true to yourself. Yeah. And, and well, I wouldn't change it. I like no. personally love it. So yeah. that's that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. So um, from here with your books, what's the plan? Uh, Well, I'm kind of in a bit of a gawky teenage phase at the moment with my writing. So (laughs) I kind of feel like I'm between two different ways of being with it. So I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm just kind of fumbling in the dark at the moment, but trusting that. Mm. So some days I'll look at what I've done and go, oh, that is so good. And some days I'll look and go, oh, my gosh, what the hell are you doing, girl? So, yeah, it'll <laughs> be interesting to see how it, I'm giving myself the time to evolve to what it needs to be. So I'm not sure what that is yet, but mm. time will tell. Mm, can't wait to see what you get up to. <laughs> I can't wait either. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you're sort of trying something different or, you know, pushing yourself out of what you've done before and going through that slightly uncomfortable phase yeah it's funny because I just think also at the moment the world is just in such a kind of state and with a lockdown all those things that you know there's so much to say and there's so much you know kind of need for change and there's so much of this and that and the other it's really hard to find a way to say all these things without telling Mm. you know without kind of being like you know angry about what's happening and and that kind of thing is not necessarily going to help so I'm trying to sort of filter through that to find the the gold at the 
mm. you know, at the end of it, hopefully. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. At the moment, it's there's a lot of stuff that I'm sifting through. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's just part of your process, I guess. Your, it is your yeah. creative process. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so moving on from the books. I know that you um, produce quite a lot of photography and then also your beautiful soul stones. Yeah, so uh, would you those. like to talk about those? Yeah, so um, sort of around the same time when I was doing the grieving, I think, you know, when we, when we lose a lot, we also somehow we are given gifts, I think, in life. So I feel as if the grieving and the loss led to me kind of having photography as another part of my creative process and also um, because I'd been sitting on this rock and sort of contemplating nature quite a bit around that time I started to really um, understand about that each stone had a sacredness about it the stone I was sitting on really became such a great friend to me and became my confidant and you know the essence of that stone really helped me in my grieving process and so from that I started to kind of realize the beauty of nature in each stone and the kind of the messages that each stone can bring and um, yeah I mean there's a, a huge tradition of stones being used for these these kind in these kind of sacred ways and all the indigenous traditions and in the Celtic tradition stones are hugely um, sacred and yeah so again completely intuitively and without really any critical thinking I just started um, finding stones on the beach and then I just kind of spent I spent time with them and I could sort of feel that there was a message in the stone and so um, then I'd kind of got into my mind I'd love to engrave some stones and so I started doing that and that became just an extension of what we're talking about mm. really it's kind of like they literally touch stones for um, emotion really and stones have a real steady presence and a real steady calm um, wider or, or spirit that that um, is very beneficial, especially in the times we're in when we're just running here and there and we can be quite ungrounded. Mm. Yeah. it's mm, so beautiful. Mm. And how um, – so can you describe how they look for people who haven't seen them? Yeah, well, at first I um, you took stones from the beach that um, I was on and I was walking on and, um, yeah, I was close with the Komata down there on the Marae uh, from around where our family has had a batch for years and so um, they blessed the stones and so on and they that was quite a close relationship as well but then when um, I came up here and where we live now is a is a marine reserve and I spoke with the local Komatua here and they were like well this is a marine reserve and you know even though it's only stones that you're taking from your area it's still they are still the treasures from this area and you know and I totally understood that. Mm, so you weren't allowed to take them? No. And um, I sort of wanted that to be, you know, always a very transparent process. So mm. um, from then, I that's kind of opened up my practice a bit more because I could actually, I, I went and found stones So and I actually bought them. Um, so that kind of was interesting in itself because it meant that I could find stones that were from the South Island, which was very close to me and also millions and millions of years older mm. than the stones from the, from the North Island. They've got a whole different yeah. feel to them. They look different. Mm. They are different. So that was really cool. And quite a lot of the stones that I'm using now are South Island quartz, mm -hmm. which are really cool, the kind yeah. of more whitey, kind of whitey, whitey green colour. Beautiful. Yeah, and then... Um, there's also all different other kinds of, of different stones from different parts of the country and they all have their own story mm. that that um, that play into what words are on there and how they are placed on the stone mm. and all those things, yeah. And so you choose just one word? Sometimes one word, sometimes more. And I just sort of sit with a stone, I hold it in my hands for a while and I keep it in my space for quite a while. So I'm kind of surrounded by maybe five or six stones and then I just um, hold them in my hand quite for a while and just kind of feel 
feel what I what I feel that stone's message is. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I remember someone told me, I can't remember who it was now, about traveling stones. And I think it's a Maori concept, but some stones are made to be, um, they're made to be kind of to travel around and, and give their wairua to lots of different people in lots of different places. But some stones are just always going to stay in one place. Mm. Which I found quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. So I think all the stones I choose are always the travelling ones. Yeah. Mm. yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. You must be feeling that vibe that there are travelling stones. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> tapping into that. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny because I love doing those stones. But you know, there's only so much time in the day, as you know. So mm. uh, I love to. Yeah, I love doing them. As soon as I make them, they get sold or they, you know, they find their homes. Mm. But I haven't had that much time to do those lately. Mm. So, and how do you do the actual engraving? Um, I have this fabulous um, group of people at the um, Jacobson Headstones who do grave stones, and it was quite mm. funny because when I first started doing them, and I was, you know, I ended up taking my first lot to the same um, gravestone people that did my mum's headstone. So uh, another, another yeah. gift from mum. Yeah. Um, it's a nice connection. Yeah. So, and up here they they're really lovely too, and they do. Um, they kind of think I'm a bit crazy, like, oh, yeah, okay, here she comes again. She's the stone lady. <laughs> the stone lady. <laughs> yeah, but they, um, they're they very lovely, and they do the engraving for me, and I kind of, it's kind of a bit of a hands-on process because it took takes a while for it to look how I want it to look, so it's been a bit of a uh, process with me, with them, just kind of making sure that things are the way they should be and mm. how deep the, the stone cutting goes and that kind of stuff mm. too. So that's been quite a fun process, and um, every time they come back uh, you know it's just they always stun me in some ways because they always look really beautiful and mm. the the deeper the engraving I think it looks bit the better mm. but some stones you can't engrave so deeply either yeah so, well it's giving so, you sort of a look into the stone isn't it when it goes deeper yeah exactly yeah and how do you find when you're at markets with your stones you know I guess it must be quite interesting watching people's reactions um I mean some people say it was just a stone with a word on it. Um, and, you know, maybe they see something like that without the backstory and, and don't understand all the beautiful ideas that go behind it and sort of and the, the nurturing sort of powers that the stones would have. So how do you find that and how do you communicate with people? Yeah, it's really funny. I think, um, it's quite, again, it's an intuitive process and people find these stones. So they come in and... They might not even be looking at a stone, and they'll just go, "Oh, I have to have that." And they don't even know why, so mm. they'll they'll get it. Even like a, little kids, quite a lot, they'll badger their parents to get them the stone because mm. they really think they need it. And um, that's been a fascinating process mm. watching that. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a fa- it's quite yeah. interesting. So you just trust that process that people find their rock, their stone. Yeah, and some people are stone people too. Like you know. I know you've got stones here that I've admired today because, you know, I think if you do love stones, you're going to be kind of open to the properties of stones and mm. what they can bring. Mm. There's a lot of people that are open to that. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they're so beautiful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I love them. Yeah. They're, they're, it's just almost like a sort of art object, isn't it? In a way, it's got that appeal also that, you know, it looks beautiful in your, in your home with your other artworks. It feels like an artwork as well as a something that might be healing for you. Yeah, I think that it's also just um, letting nature shine because it's really the stone is doing everything. It's just mm. the words are just really a backdrop for what's already there. Mm. So it's kind of like they're, they're quite subtle. They're not trying to kind mm. of, you know, be all neon signed about it. They're just kind of like on there. But really the contours and the natural beauty of the stone is what's the the main yeah the main driver you know? mm. yeah that's so beautiful that connection right back to that rock that you sat on yeah all those years ago amazing yeah eh? it's really gorgeous yeah um and so how does your photography fit in with that well i just think my photography is just a great boon i just find it really easy i find it so much fun i find i'm just in the zone with it and it's not even hard i just find it's like just keep, it just keeps on giving me gifts mm. um yeah, it's just like been a really easy process mm. and I love it. And I don't really call myself a photographer because I don't know why, I just don't. I just find it a very easy, um, yeah, flowing process of just, you know, I, I just think it's, 
I feel like I'm blessed with being able to see these things mm. in nature and then to be able to capture them and share them is just an equal boon. Mm. And it's quite an easy process. It's just like click and you're kind of, you've captured something and then you can share it with other people. And, you know, I'm a, I love to share things. And so it's kind of like an easy way to do that as well. Mm. And it's, it's, it's the same kind of love for nature and um, desire to be able to find that moment of peace all those same things are, um, are informing that process, but it's just if I just find it for some reason a really easy process, mm, and people yeah. respond to your work. Yeah, no, they do, and it's it's really easy because you know they say a picture paints a thousand words. Mm. Um, it's I find that that's really true, and it's quite an easy way for me to actually get a message across that is um, that you know I'd be using. In an ego way, I'd be trying to think about what are the best words for that, blah, blah, blah. Don't even need to. Just click. There you mm. go. That's it. Yeah. That's what I could have spent all day saying. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know? Which is probably sort of a, a little bit of freedom for you in some oh, way. Oh, it really is. I love it. Yeah. And yeah. you're responding to your place. Is it mostly Murawai? It is. Yeah, especially photos? now because we can't really go many places. But um, it's funny. I think you kind of um, – get used to the essence of a place and so you're able to kind of almost like showcase the beauty a bit better mm. yeah and, and really connect on a deep level yeah and get the gift back because mm. you know I know that you'll that you know what I mean it feels as if it's a two-way relationship mm. with nature especially here at Muriwai it mm. feels like you know you're loving it and it's loving you right back you know? that's right yeah. yeah that's a beautiful way of looking at it yeah and is it mostly you know, the beach and the sea and the sky that you're photographing or do you get out into nature as well? Yeah, it's mostly the, the beach and sea and the sky. I also love um, forests, but I haven't been able to figure out how to um, how to bring the divinity I see in the forest into the photograph, if you know what I mean. Like mm. I haven't been able to figure out how to help, how to translate what I'm seeing with my eyes in the forest into that divine picture that you know you want to take it's mm. so much kind of easier with the beach because it's um the lighting's often so divine too mm. Mm. yeah oh work in progress yeah work in progress yeah, yeah and totally. I, I, need, I need to learn more about how photography works fabulous judy stokes who we all love from Muriwa, who's left here now which is very sad mm, but very she sad. um yeah she has given me some um some one-on-one -on -one teaching which i found really amazing because there's a whole kind of realm of photography that um, I don't know yet, which is, you know, the kind of more technical side of it. Mm. And she she was been great at kind mm. of demystifying that a little mm, bit, you know. That's good. Yeah. So it seems like your practice is, I mean, not your writing so much, but other parts of your creative process and practice is quite um, intuitive and uh, sort of responding to how you're feeling and what you're noticing and what you're connecting with, would you say that's yeah. right? It's kind of quite easy. I love it. Mm. Yeah. Very life-giving and yeah. um, life-affirming as well. Mm. Yeah. And I guess you don't have those restrictions. You haven't done the fine arts degree where you feel like you need to be doing a certain thing. You've, you've got a sort of open, open approach to your creativity. Less ego about it. And that's what, you know, that's what stops me in the, sometimes in the writing part of it. Cause, you know, when you kind of think, oh, I'm a writer or I'm a fine artist, it's just such a kind of drag. Yeah. <laughs> because you've got to kind of, you've got these expectations, which mm. are just, you know, pretty bogus, really. Yeah. I yeah. know. It's all in our own heads. Yeah. Most of the time. And so with your website, you know, it's a lovely website. And I know that you've um, done some of your own podcasts in the past, um, which might develop further in the future and you know you've got all the things that you're selling you have your books for sale on your website and you show your photo photographs um and you sort of put yourself out there and I think you're really good at that at the, the marketing side so um how do you find your creativity as a as a business how do you find the running of it okay well realistically let's be honest I'm terrible at it but I've had these incredible young women because I run another business and um, I have these amazing marketing people that I work with in my um, other business that's, um, yeah, that, that actually have given me a lot of guidance and shaped my kind of presence online and all the, these things. So I feel really blessed with that. And they're all younger women, like in their 20s and stuff, and they understand how to um, 
how to market things in a totally different way than what I do. They totally get it. Mm. And um, I've been blessed to be, to, you know, kind of have their expertise to help me along. Mm. So um, at the moment, I haven't got anybody on that on that level. So I'm kind of, yeah, it's, it's definitely great to have somebody to um, – to kind of push that along mm. and tell me I've got to do this and this and this and then I just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But your Instagram, you know, I enjoy your Instagram it's, uh, when you post things. You'd... Yeah, that's that's my um that's just my freedom my freedom easy yeah. place to do it. Yeah. Mm. Which is really good. And um yeah, so I I think because I haven't got anyone now I'm just again going back to my old chestnut which I've said about 20 times but intuitively just doing things a bit more free free flowing mm. you know so I think I might just do that now and just see what happens with it yeah yeah which can be a good way to do it yeah and um, you're also a meditation practitioner so um, I imagine that connects in a big way to to your creativity as well can yeah you tell us yeah. how how what are the connections yeah that's a good question too I think um that really is the basis of everything yeah because that gives me the um I suppose it gives me the groundedness to be able to just be in the moment and to actually see things a certain way and to give myself um to give myself the space to actually let my emotions um inform me on what they're saying or you know it just gives me the space to be who I am I suppose you say mm. and that that kind of informs on all the different things that we've just talked about, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that people, it's quite funny, like really that's what my podcast is about because people think meditation is this kind of mystical sort of, oh, it's so woo-woo and it's never going to be me, et cetera. But it's actually not that at all. It's really a really easy thing to do. And it's kind of a human right, I think, that, you know, as, as time goes along, I think more and more of us will just be meditating because it's just it's just like eating it's just a part of being a human I think mm. but that's a you know probably quite a you know not a mainstream way of thinking but mm. yeah well, it's becoming more mainstream I think it is I think but as, as soon as I again as soon as I mention it I can just see people's eyes oftentimes glaze over mm. and they're kind of feeling like they're going to be judged because they're not that or mm. you know I just I just really want it to be much more um widely understood than what it is mm. and just widely embraced because it's mm. so easy and it's so um, I'm passionate about spreading the word about that and mm. I love teaching it as well yeah and you're, you're such a good person for that I mean I've seen your sometimes just little words on Facebook and um, or a little video of you speaking and, and talking about breathing and just that in itself is helpful for me oh yay you know? that's it's, so good yeah, I think you've got a real gift in that area yeah. And it's just about educating people. And I, myself, I guess with meditation, feel we're slightly going off topic here, but, uh, you know, I think it's a bit like people who, you know, want to be praying, but they can never sort of feel like they're really connecting with the God or whatever they're praying to. Yeah. And sometimes with meditation, I feel like I'm not that good at sort of putting my my mind into a into a good space for that because my mind is so busy I get I get distracted and start thinking about other things and I guess you know for people who don't know about meditation I've never done it myself that's what sort of scares me about going there because I'm not sure how I can control my mind but it may not even be about that I know that I need to go somewhere to help with breathing and and processing thoughts and that kind of thing so I feel like it's something I need, but I just need to go there and, and see what it's all about, I guess. And what, what you're saying is so interesting because it's actually totally true. It is like that. But the whole thing about it is that, that people aren't getting is that that fact that you're actually sitting there and your mind's doing that, that's actually meditation. So all it is is just giving yourself space to recognize that your mind's doing that. And that's the meditative space because you're actually aware of that mm. it's just being aware of your processes mm. not trying to make them anything but that what they already are so it's like not not like you're going to sit there and you're in nirvana and you're just in this great place no I've been doing it all these years and I still sit there and my mind is going 50,000 different places but yeah. that just knowing that is actually the most important thing so it's not like you're ever going to be good at it or mm. you're going to be a master at it or mm. anything like that it's just sitting with your with yourself 
and actually allowing yourself to be who you are at that moment mm. in time, you know? Mm. So it's like, it's not really about trying to force anything, but just actually opening up to what actually already is, which is today my brain might be just going totally off the radar or whatever, you know? It's just about being present with, mm. with how you actually are that day, you know? Mm, does that make sense? Yeah, it uh, totally does. And I think it's good for people to know that. Yeah. You know, even though it's not talking about your art practice, it's so connected. And um, I think it's great for people to know these things. Yeah, because I think people do have an idea of it's this kind of, you know, um, moving towards perfection, but it's actually not. It's actually accepting mm. the imperfections and actually giving room for those mm. as well as the good things that it's actually just giving room for what is rather mm. than trying to be something that you're not. Mm. You know? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'm going to come to one of your classes. Please, anytime. I will. I'm doing it. <laughs> Yay. So um, just a few questions for yeah. the final part of our episode today. What do you do in your spare time, Emma? Spare time. If wow. you have any. Yeah. Um, well, I love walking on the beach. That's my thing that I love the most. And I heard on your podcast you do the same thing. You walk by yourself and I'm the same. Like I just – never get any time by, by myself so mm. I'm just like when I'm walking I'm always by myself and it's so great I yeah. love that yeah. that so solitude that you can get when you're walking and mm. you're actually getting um getting so much f um, food from nature mm. you know for your soul mm. um what else do I, I love going to movies even though there hasn't been that many movies on lately um yeah I mean I love spending time with friends and family um Love reading, but I don't get that much time for reading. Mm. I love it. Um, yeah. Sounds cool. Might see you on the beach sometime. Yeah, <laughs> often hopefully. Do, don't I? Yeah, often do. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people starting out on their creative journey? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Advice. Yeah. I think a lot of it is about, I think personally, I think everyone's creative. I don't think there's anyone, people say I'm not creative, everyone is. And I think that we've been created and we are creative. So I think that we, that I just say to people, honour, you know, honour the things that you love and the depth of who you are and allow that to kind of inform you a bit more. Like just, yeah, because really when it comes down to it, all this kind of stuff that's that we're doing in life at the end it doesn't really matter it's about who we're being and I think that the creative process is about finding who you are underneath all that isn't it really mm, yeah totally agree yeah so my advice would just be you know listen to yourself on a deep level listen to yourself and listen to what what you want out of life and don't discount that yeah great advice yeah yeah so mm. true um what do you love most about what you do? Mm. I love being able to be free flowing with, um, with taking what what the life's giving me and actually making something from it. So just I love that. I love to be able to be, um, to be able to yeah, like how you call me a creative maker. I love that because I love to be able to. Um, yeah, to take what, what is given and make something out of it, which sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it might be beautiful, sometimes it might be ugly, sometimes it might be um, angry, sometimes it might be peaceful, but just accepting all of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And being open. Being open to it, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think your meditation and your sort of take on life is, you know, has sort of come through your work so much and, and your different different mediums and the different approaches that you have to your practice. And um, I think you're, not only are you honouring people who have been, like your mum, you're also giving gifts to people who are enjoying your work or, you know, noticing what you're making. And that's that's a beautiful thing. Thank you, darling. It's so nice to be um, acknowledged and it's so nice to be able to have a space to actually talk about these things, which is so intrinsic, but we never really talk about them. Mm. It's just thank you for opening up all this dialogue and for all the, the podcasts I've listened to on Creative Matters so far have been just so heart-opening and so engaging on a 
um, on a really deep level like just kind of even though you know people are talking about what they're making there's so much going on underneath all that so mm. and every person's story has been so different mm. so I've really enjoyed listening to the ones I've, I've still got a few to listen to but I've loved it so yeah if you haven't listened to any other ones please go listen to the rest of them if thank you're you to Emma. Some, yeah yeah thank you that's great and it's it's you know having people like you involved is is what's making it so special and and something that people can really connect with, which is, you know, amazing for me. Well, we're lucky to have such a, um, like a diverse art community at Moriwa. Like, I'm still blown away by how many incredible artists just live mm. in our wee neighbourhood. Mm. Like, it's just quite amazing. And, and from all different kinds of, all different parts of the spectrum. Like, yeah. you know, Liz, Liz Smith, who's the um, embroidery artist, just listening to her kind of creative journey was really interesting. Mm. And Amanda Kemp as well, mm. um, just... Yeah, just really interesting mm. and things that I didn't know, even though I, I knew both those people. I didn't know a lot about that about their lives that, yeah. that you brought up. And it's not often that you actually, like you say, have time to sit down, tell your story, and talk about your work, and and how much more I think we can appreciate people's work once we hear their stories and their ideas behind it. You well, know. It's, yeah, exactly. And it's such a good thing. You can have it on the background. Like I never iron and I hate ironing, but I put that on. And I was listening to the podcast and I was just ironing my whole wardrobe because wow. I, was, I was actually enjoying <laughs> listening so much. You yeah. know, it's kind of like just sitting with someone, like you've got a cup of tea and you're just having a conversation. Mm. It's very, um, very engaging, but not in a, um, like in a kind of light way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's easy to listen to. Isn't easy it? to listen to. And yeah. relate to. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm I'm just going to branch out out of Murawai Beach soon. You know, oh, exciting! Sort of speaking to artists and creatives outside my zone, people I don't know. Awesome. Um, so that's going to be new for me and a little bit scary. Yeah, but, you'd be great. Um, yeah, yeah. It'll be different, I think, but also great. Yeah, looking hey. forward to it. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Who's right. Who's the next one on the agenda? Um, we have next week is Sharon Kitely, who was recommended by a friend, and she's a quilt maker. Oh, that'll be interesting. And a quilt pattern designer. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Okay, Emma, well, thank you very, very much for coming and for talking with me and for sharing and being so open. And I think a lot of what you've said, you know, will help many people in many different ways, especially talking about um, meditation and responding in a natural way to what's around you and how that can sort of inform your creative practice. So, uh, Thank you for your fabulous you. questions. I've loved it. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. That's yeah. been great. Thanks, Emma. Thank you.